0: Hey, how's everybody doing? It's great to see you. In uh, 1999, so it was a, a while ago, my wife and I led a trip to Israel with a group of college students. And uh, while she was there, she got pneumonia. And uh, so we got back. doctor said, hey, you got pneumonia? You're, and she was just knocked out for about a month. And uh, what that meant was it put me in charge of all the cooking in the house. Now... I am a man of many talents, but cooking is not one of them. And uh, so, I mean, I can really only make like four or five things. And so I just started combining things as I could. And uh, so it would be a weird, it was a weird thing at my house for a while. Because I, I, one night it was a frozen pizza and, uh, and then uh, with a side item of baked beans. Another, another night it was grilled cheese with rice. And I was, just, I was just making anything I knew how to make, and, uh, and that was it. And then one night I had made a, um, I, I made a frozen, like one of those Red Baron frozen pizzas, and, and I cooked it way, like more than a human should have to cook it. And uh, so, but that was all we had, so we present, you know, I just cut it up, and, and, she, and Carrie uh, said, you know, Bob, uh, you treat me like a goddess. And I said, really? I said, why is that? She says, because every night you present me with a burnt sacrifice. Um, So, and, uh, but, you know, we we have this idea of what, I I believe sometimes we have a wrong idea of what sacrifice is. And uh, most of the time when we think about um, sacrificing, it's that we're losing something. When really just the opposite is true. I've learned that God uses sacrifice to transform me into the person that he wants me to become. But be, the thing about sacrifice is that sacrifice sounds like it hurts. So most of us try to avoid it as much as possible. But we, if we really thought about it, we would realize that sac- really few things in life come to us without some level of sacrifice. And sacrifice is the vehicle that God uses to bring about change in our lives. I mean, you think about an area of your life that you want to change. And here's the thing. You think about an area you want to change and whatever it is, sacrifice is going to have to be involved. So if you say, man, I want my marriage to change, you're going to have to sacrifice for the sake of your spouse. You say, man, I want my career to change. You're probably going to have to sacrifice and work real hard for not that much and kind of work your way up and do do your very best for the company and not have a, I'm only going to do what they pay me to do kind of mentality. If you want your relationship with God to change, listen, Sacrifice something that consumes a lot of your time and give that time to God in service and in obedience. And uh, we're going to spend some time this morning looking at a story that is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's a story of sacrifice. But it's not the story of one person sacrificing. It's a story of an entire nation sacrificing. For what? For the purpose of building a house for God. It's the moment when the people of Israel have finally gathered together And they sacrificed for the sake of building a house for God, the temple itself. And the result, here's what's amazing, the result was not everyone having less. The result was a revival happening in Israel and everyone experiencing God's presence more. And some of you were here last week. I know some of you weren't because you needed to catch nine hours of coverage for the Super Bowl. Um, But uh, some of you missed what we talked about last week and that we were starting a brand new campaign that's called Coming Home. And uh, we showed you the master, we showed the master plans for the the property and all that stuff. And we talked about, listen, that this project is not just about us. It's for the countless thousands of people that live in this community who don't know the Lord. And so one of the things we talked about last week, if you don't know, is that we're the only church out here. I mean, it's us and that's it. And we're not only are we the only church out here, but we're going to be the only church that actually has a piece of property and a, and a building on it. And so with that uh, comes great responsibility. You know, and um, the Bible says that whom much is given, much will be required. And so we have been given a sacred trust. We've been given an, an incredible responsibility by God to reach our city with the gospel. And so we've talked about how does that vision become a reality? And this house for God will be built in the same way that the very first house was built, through the sacrifice of God's people. And so I want to invite you to open with me to First Chronicles 29. That's where we're going to be today. Those of you who are like, hey, whatever happened to the Malachi study? We're going back to the Malachi study next week, and we're going to start chapter 3 of that. But uh, we're in First Chronicles 29 today, and that's where we're going to spend the duration of our time together. And uh, so you've got your Bible, open it there, your Bible app, iPad, whatever you got, open it up. First Chronicles 29, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Furthermore, King David said to the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might, gold for the things to be made with gold, silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slab in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, of 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the, house, of the houses, uh, gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver, and all kinds of the work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. And then he says this, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to show you about sacrifice and what it does. And here's the first one, if you're a note taker, and that is that sacrifice is a picture of devotion. It's a picture of devotion. Now, there's several things that happen here, but one of the things that David does, he says, I have set my affection toward the house of God. Another translation says um, that because of my devotion, to God and to build this house. And the word, that word affection, that word devotion is the same Hebrew word. Um, It's a word, ra in 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 Hebrew. And it refers to, it's a word that, it's a very interesting word because it's a word that priests use to talk about a sacrifice that's acceptable to God. And so David looks on and he says, God has done so much for me. That I want to just do an offering that is so over and above that I know God would be pleased with. And um, I mean and it wasn't so much that the, the, the value of it, even though scholars estimate the value of everything David listed there to be if we translated that into today's value, it would be somewhere close to sixteen billion dollars that he was giving. But it wasn't simply the the amount, it was the sacrifice behind it. David was a lover of God and saw this as an opportunity to do something for him. And because that's what love does. Love finds a way to sacrifice for whatever the object of, of, that, love, of that love is. And so we always put our treasure where our heart is. And that's where what Jesus would say. He said that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So... This Friday, this past Friday, two days ago, my wife and I celebrated 16 years of holy matrimony. Yeah, very excited about that. That says a lot more about her than it does me uh, because it's a great deal for me uh, because she's more beautiful than even when we met, and uh, I have way less hair. And, um, but so anyway, we celebrated 16 years as our 16th wedding anniversary. So um, my brother and sister-in-law watched all three of our kids, and I took Carrie to a hotel on Fort Lauderdale beach that cost more than the, that cost more than my first car. Um, but, you know, so I was a little, anyway, um, so you ever have that, like, you're going to buy, you're going to buy, buy something uh, online. You're like, you know, you're, you're having like all the, you're using the breathing techniques that they taught your wife and you're going to have your first child. Uh, that's kind of how I was. And, um, but here's the thing is that I booked the room and I booked the room on my American express card. So because of it, they had some thing going on where I got an automatic upgrade when I, when I did it. And then it included breakfast. It had several other things. And, um, so, but then they said, do you have any, um, additional comments? And so I wrote because I just figured they might do something for us. And I put, um, 16th anniversary, first time, uh, the first time away from our kids. So we, we get there on Friday and, uh, and I, and so they're like, Oh, well, happy. And we get there and like happy anniversary, Mr. and Mrs. Frankwiz, and we're so glad that you're here. And, and so, uh, they, they said, well, we see that you have this package and, and you got this room. We upgraded this room. Uh, but we're going to, we know it's your anniversary. We're going to upgrade you again. And, uh, I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. And, uh, and then they're like, well, you know, uh, we also want to do this and we want to give you access to the concierge lounge. It's normally like 200 bucks, but you just go in there and have fun and whatever. And, uh, and then every time we ate on the property, I mean, they just, um, every time, I, I mean, it was, it was like, I, I, we actually had to tell them to stop, uh, because they're like, Hey, whoa, well, happy anniversary. And, um and we brought you a dessert, and then we brought you champagne, and we brought you all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't drink. I, that, I think that stuff tastes horrible. And, um, and then they brought me one for breakfast. And I'm like, what do you take me for? You know, and uh, like, it's eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, I don't even think drinkers are drinking this early. And uh, so anyway, but I thanked them anyway. But anyway, so they were, we had this, this whole thing. And uh, so we get, we get up to the room, we get up to the room, and it's got this amazing view of Fort Lauderdale Beach. And uh, it was it was really stunning. And uh, and then, you know, my wife, and I, I don't know how much she was overhearing of like, the you know, the, these upgrades they were doing or whatever. But she gets to the room. She's totally blown away. She's like, Bob, I can't believe you did this. And, and then they knocked on the door and she's like, who's this? And um, and, and once again, I didn't ask for this. But um, they, they, they actually sent room service up to us. They sent us these uh, chocolate-covered strawberries, and it said happy anniversary on it. And uh, it was just super nice of them. And she's like, Bob, you did all this for me? <laughs> yeah. Well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, you know, I, I did some of it. I did, yes, I, I did. I did this. I said, well, it was actually me and MX. And there's a guy named Jeff at the front desk. He helped too. Uh, you know, that, that, that all of us together, we're putting this thing on. Uh, now this, what, and the whole thing is that it just, um, this is what, this is what love does. It just finds a way to sacrifice. Now, if I can contrast this and if you'll suffer another one of my stories for a minute, um, so I'm going to have you just hold that, amazing, you know, hotel experience Uh, to the other side, a a friend of mine from high school um, wants to date this girl. He finally gets her to to go out on a date with him. And, uh, and I, and and he's telling me what he's going to do. And I'm like, listen, if you ever want to have a second date with her, you don't want to do this. This is the worst idea I've ever heard. So here, anyway, he doesn't take my advice and here's what he does. So I said, so what did you, what did you guys go? Well, I picked her up. And uh, I took her to a dollar movie. Okay, some of you don't remember that there were actually dollar movie theaters. But there was a time in this world that there were dollar movie theaters. And uh, you would just go, you'd pay one dollar, and you would watch a movie that was out like eight years ago. Okay? And it was like, wow, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is playing uh, at the dollar movie. You know, this is like back when Kevin Costner used to act. Um, So so anyway, so that you would go to these theaters. So he takes her to a dollar movie. So now he has spent two dollars on his date. Then he took her, he went, he drove, which anyway, he drove to this place, uh, that was pretty far from where the movie was to this, uh, this fast food place called Hot and Now. Does anybody remember Hot and Now? Uh, anyone, there was three people in the last service. Renato was the one person who remembers Hot and Now. Okay. Okay. A couple other people, like all, you're all now admitting to it. Like this isn't like, it's like all right, I admit to it, you know, <laughs> anyway, um, this is too many jokes happening in my mind all at the same time. Um. So here's, here's the thing about Hot and Now. Hot and Now was like, you know how there's like a certain quality of fast food restaurant? This is like the very bottom, okay? They had 19 cent hamburgers and then you could upgrade that to 29 cent hamburgers. Uh, it was... Um, another 20 cents for the fries and then 39 cents for the drink. It's like, oh, and nobody's shocked they went out of business. It's like, you know, like this is just not a good financial model for a sustainable enterprise. Anyway, so he takes... And by the way, every hot now was in, a, the, worst rest, was in the worst neighborhood and uh, every hot now I'd ever been to had bullet holes in the glass, okay? Which I don't even know why they would rob them. At the prices, there wasn't going to be much money there anyway. So nonetheless... Um he takes her to Hotten Now. He spends like another two dollars on this, you know, fancy meal, even though I think he ponied up and uh he bought her the cheeseburger, not just the hamburger. So, anyway, so do you get the burger, the fries? Anyway, it turns out to be the whole thing with the drink, like another two bucks. Then after he wines and dines her at Hotten Now, and then they had this delightful time at uh at the dollar movie. He takes her at the end of the date to 7-Eleven and buys her a 99-cent ice cream sandwich. And, uh, and and anyway, needless to say, they're not married and living happily ever after. In fact, she never spoke to him after that. And, uh, and it just shows. And you could say, well, didn't he like her? And here, this is the thing. Every time I've told the story to someone, like a friend of mine, they're like, but didn't he like her? Like, yeah, but see, and here's the thing. The lack of investment showed really where his heart was. It's like, well, he must have not really cared that much because if he really cared, he would have done a little more by way of investment. And this is the thing that happens is that sometimes we want to go that route, like the hot and now route, you know, for, uh, for you know, what we can do as, as opposed to the, the kind of nice hotel route. And um, David, in the, in the story that we're reading, when he decides, hey, I want to do all of this for the house of God is that he doesn't look at how little can I do and still be okay with God. Instead, he sees how much God has done for him, and he says, here's what I want to figure out. How can I figure out, how can I just give out as much as I can to the work of God, because God has done so much for me. When David was looking for the land on which to build the temple, um, which now, today, you can go to it. It's called the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock sits there. And um, he goes to a a man by the name of Aruna who owned this piece of land and offers to buy it the guy aruna says king if you want it i'll just give it for what you're going to do it i'll just give it to you and i want you to see what king david says i put it in your notes in second samuel 24 then the king said to aruna no i will surely buy it from you for a price nor will i offer burnt offerings to the lord my god with that which costs me nothing you see The whole thing that David understands is that it's not a sacrifice unless it's a sacrifice. And David says, I'm not going to give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And and, and once again, as we talked about this uh, campaign last week and what we're doing, and those of you that gave to Blueprint and those of you that are committing uh, even today or you committed last week, um, the first place to start is remembering all that God has done for us. That's where David begins. And he says, I, David says, I, I want to sacrifice out of my devotion, out of my affection for what God has done for me. And that, that's where we begin. You see, and, and by the way, let me say this, and I think sometimes this is where there can be a misunderstanding because, you know, David gives this thing $16 billion almost, and it's like, who's going to compete with that, right? I mean, who, who can even dream of competing with that? You don't need to compete with that. The goal here is not a contest of who can, can give more, uh, but instead, it's b- because everybody has been blessed financially in different ways and at different levels. But the issue is not the equality of the size of the gifts. It's the equality of the sacrifice. Um, Jesus would say it this way. I love this story. He says, and now Jesus sat opposite to the treasury and saw how people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. And so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now, she gives these two mites. And what are two mites? Well, obviously, two mites are a quadrants. Well, that answers that question. Um, Well, let me just tell you what, what in our currency, what it would be. A a, a mite, a quadrant, two mites, a quadrants uh, would be half of a penny. She gave half of a penny and Jesus was blown away that she gave. Why? Because everybody else gave but she gave through a level of sacrifice that was actually costing her because it's not a sacrifice unless it's a sacrifice. And that was the issue. And it was the sacrifice behind the gift that pleased the Lord and that expressed devotion to Him. Now look at what happens in verse 6. David says uh, in verse 5, who was willing to consecrate himself uh, to the Lord, to this day to the Lord? And look what happens in verse 6. It says, Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the officers uh, over the king's work offered willingly. And they gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. And the pe- then the people rejoiced for they offered willingly because with a loyal heart, they offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to share. And that is that sacrifice is motivated by joy. That's the motivation behind sacrifice. Sacrifice is not... Um, is not motivated by guilt. It's not motivated by compulsion. That's why the verse uh, says that whoever sows sparing will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. But that God loves a cheerful, a cheerful giver because sacrifice is motivated by joy. The people were filled with joy when they gave towards the temple. And can I tell you this? The thing... The check that I write every month that fills me with joy is the check that I write to the work of the Lord here at Calvary. Maybe that's true with you. That's the one that, that gives you the most joy. I don't get any joy out of writing a check to FPL. When I write the city of Miramar a check for my water and sewer services, I don't feel a tingle all over my body. I don't know, but it's when I, when I give to the work of God that, I, that, I actually, that, I, that I'm filled with joy. And listen, God is delighted when your heart is filled with joy when you give. That that's what he's looking for is the heart and the motivation behind it. And they knew, listen, the people here, they rejoiced because they offered willingly. They rejoiced because they knew the importance of what they were giving to. Now, some of you weren't here last week, and I want to run through a couple of pictures. And you can say, oh, man, I already saw those pictures. Well, don't worry. There's about seven or eight pictures that I held back last week that I'm going to show you this week just because you know I like to bring the sizzle, all right? Every week, I like to bring the sizzle. So anyway, uh, let me show you. This is the site plan, and you guys saw this last week. Um, and, some, and, and the cool thing is, as I show these pictures, some, some have asked me some questions, uh, and so I'll, I'm going to try to answer some of the questions, the common ones that people ask me. And they said, are all three of these going to be built at the same time? And the answer is no. Um, we're going to build, obviously, the parking lot. We're gonna, we have to get all of the ground-ready, but we're actually only building this building in phase one. Once we move into phase one, um, we're going to see, kind of gauge how everything is, depending on uh, our growth and all that. Then we'll go into phase two. Um, But this is one of the reasons why phase one costs a little bit more than the other two phases, is because we have to do all of the site work to get uh, the land ready to build on. And so... We're, um, so that's why, you know, you only build the parking lot once. So we don't have to do that for phases two and three, but we have to do it for phase one. So anyway, uh, this is where we're going to be, is, is, uh, is this building right here. And so that'll encompass everything that we do for this, this first phase. And if we can go to the second one, this is what it's going to look like. So for those of you that haven't seen it, this is your ooh and ah moment. Um, and uh, you'll see kind of this big open piazza. You'll see across here. You'll see this uh, ba- uh, out- outdoor baptistry. and um, so and then this building right here is uh, this is the main auditorium. This will be where we house everything. But once we build everything out, this will be children's uh, on the bottom floor, administrative offices for our staff on the top floor. and then this is going to be a youth, cafe, and then some classroom space for us to do different classes that we do uh, during the weekend on the weekend. Now this is what it looks like at night, um, which is my favorite picture. Um, uh, but if we can go to the next one, um, this is a model. The next one is a model of what it's going to look like. It's the next one that I wanted to, okay, this is, oh, I forgot about this one. Um, this is the floor plan that we're working with. And, um, you'll see uh, this is the floor plan for phase one. This is about a 500 seat auditorium right here. And then all of this is children's space. This is for our, our whole children's ministry. Uh, this is administrative offices right here. And then this is uh, restrooms, cafe, and then we'll have some tables out here. And this is kind of like a big uh, open foyer lobby area. The next one is a little better shot of it. Um, so this is entrance, kind of the big foyer area, children's ministry, auditorium, stage, restrooms, cafe. Um, it'll be just like this, except with a roof. Um, So, but the next picture is the thing I haven't shown you yet. And this is what we're, this is the theming that we're doing for our children's ministry, um, in there. And so what we're doing here is, uh, the, the architects that we work with, um, they brought some things to the table and they said, you know, we just, they spent a weekend with us and they said, Hey, here's some of the things that we brought. And so they, uh, you know, because the, our emphasis here at Calvary is, is, is so heavy on making disciples of reaching people, helping all of us grow in the faith, Um, and even from adults all the way down to children. One of the things that we uh, were so committed to that, that they came in with this theme of this kind of Cape Canaveral uh, astronaut kind of theme that uh, they're calling, you know, with the Great Commission of Making Disciples, they called it commission control, and uh, we absolutely loved it. And so you have this whole idea, you know, authorized personnel only, and then you know, what would look like all the TV monitors. This is actually a picture from the movie The Incredibles. Um, so if you're like, hey, isn't that Mr. Incredible? It is, but we're not going to use that picture. But in fact, if you go to the next slide, it'll show you the pictures. some of the pictures we are going to use, um, which is this whole idea of, you know, seeking the Lord, being equipped for service. Um, so you'll see that in the commission control. If you go to the next one, you'll see kind of the concept for uh, check-in. And it's got this, the whole idea is um, this whole kind of like Epcot um, you know, you're going in and, and you're, you're checking in for the mission, you know, and so you'll see kind of the launching pads, that kind of idea, uh, that we're, that we're looking at. You go to the next slide and, uh, this is some of the graphics that we're going to have, like the signage. So you have this, you know, random person, um, looking for signage. This is where he's going to go. The next one is the sign for the building. Um, and then this is what it looks like at night and, uh, which I, I like. And, um, let me uh, see I think that's these guys gave me like a little chart to know if uh, if I was out of oh one more there's one more and uh, this is the um, uh, inside how we 're going to just inform everybody things that are going on so this this is just going to be signage inside, and uh, depending on resources and you know investment and all that, this can either be we can print these out or we can, these could actually be um, like you know, LED monitors and uh, they, they, these could, all the pictures could rotate depending on what activity or events uh, or event we're doing at the time. So, um, so that's all, all of that that I wanted to show you. But he, now for those of you that weren't here last week or you were here last week and you've already forgotten, uh, let me break down uh, because the question that always comes up is, hey, I, I love it. When are we going to move in? That's one of the two questions. And we're looking at about 18 months. So probably about September of next year, August, September of next year. uh, That's kind of the the idea. And then uh, the second question is, I love it when we're going to move in. And the second question is, uh, I love it, uh, but how much is it going to cost? And uh, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, So the foundation that we're working with, which loaned us um, a portion of the money for us to be able to buy the land, is also going to give us a loan to buy... Uh, to build, uh, construct phase one of, uh, of the building. And so they're gonna, what they're going to loan us is $1.5 million for the construction of the building. What that's going to leave is $1.5 million uh, because it's going to cost us about $3 million to build the building and do all the site work and do the parking lot and all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's why we started this, this past week. We, last week, we introduced the idea of this new campaign called Coming Home. Uh, which is 24 months long and uh, it's going to raise the resources that we need to build phase one of the master plan. And we call it, we call it coming home for two reasons. Number one, because uh, this is going to be the place that we call home. But number two, because this is going to be the place where our community is going to hear the gospel and come home to God. And so how do we raise 1.5 million dollars over the next 24 months and move in? Um, now, Here's, here's the cool thing is that um, I spoke with a group of leaders here at Calvary a few weeks ago, shared the vision that of all of this and said, hey, this is where God is moving us. This is a great opportunity that we have. And within that group of 50 people, that group of 50 committed uh, just over $300,000 over the next 24 months, which is amazing for a, group, a small group of 50 people. Um, last week, we shared it, you know, we shared the vision and we said, you know, I know many of you want to go home and pray about it and then come back this week and say, hey, I'm ready. I know what, what the Lord wants me to do. Um, but there was a group of people that were like, no, I, I know exactly what I'm to do right now. And um, they, that last week, we, there was about another $100,000 committed. So right now, there's about $400,000 committed, which leaves us $1.1 uh, $1. 1 million to raise as a church. Now, you say, well, how does, how does that work? I mean, how could that, uh, what does that look like? Let me show you this chart if I can. Because one of the, quest, one of the, the common things that I hear is, um, Pastor, if I, I wish I could write the church a check for a million dollars. And uh, I appreciate that heart. I do. But the reality is, is that um, if we sit around waiting for one person to write a check for a million dollars, we're probably going to be waiting for a long time. Um, what the reality is, is that it's probably not going to be one person writing a check for a million dollars. It's probably going to be all of us being sacrificial for the sake of these next two years to see, what, uh, to see this vision become a reality. Now, check this out because I think sometimes we, we underestimate what we think we can do over the course of a period of time. Now, look at what happens here. If a person says, hey, I, I want to give $100 a month more than my normal tithing and giving, um, over 24 months, that's $2,400 that they're, that they're committing over the course of these, um, over the course of this next uh, two years. Someone decides, oh, I'm going to give $200 a month. That's, that's almost $5,000 that they're giving, just saying, hey, I'm going to commit um, $200, that, which is, a, which is a, a significant portion. Someone says, I'm going to give $300. That's $7,200. $500 a month for 24 for months is 12000 Seven fifty for twenty four months, eighteen thousand, a thousand dollars a month, and you can just keep doing the math on the way up. And so, if I can go to the next slide, and that is like how do we, how do we see this become a reality? And, and this is really what it would take. I mean if, if we had one person commit two hundred fifty thousand dollars, two people commit one hundred thousand dollars, three people commit fifty, six people commit uh, twenty five, twenty five people commit ten thousand. 50 people commit 5,000, 100 people commit 1,000, that's 1.5 million right there. And, I'm sure, you know, and people are committing things all, you know, in between as well. And so, now, one of the things that I think helps people um, frame it, because they say, hey, I want to commit this, but what is it actually, uh, you know, it's like, hey, I want to commit this, but what, what would I actually be investing in if I, if I did it. Now, let me show you this next slide that I think is helpful. In fact, can I go to the second one first, if that's all right? Um, if a person said, hey, I, I'm going to commit $200 over the next, a month, for the next 24 months, which is almost $5,000, right? What would that person be investing in? Um, they'd be, essentially, this $5,000 would buy one installed pair of glass entrance doors, so the glass doors when you walk in, one ton of installed steel, property survey that has to be done, one installed parking lot light and furniture for the children's ministry, um, or for a children's ministry class. Someone gave 10000 it was it's a projector and a screen, an exterior sign, and irrigation system for all the landscaping for the entire property. If someone gives 25000 it could be a stage system, it could be the infrastructure for the uh, audiovisual and lighting, civil engineering fees, permitting fees, and painting for the entire building. Uh, $50,000. What would that do? That would do all the floor finishes, all the environmental graphics, which is the stuff, all the commission control stuff that we looked at the entire plumbing system and the sprinkler system. If someone gives a hundred thousand dollars, that would be, um, half of the electrical system. If I can go to the first one, if someone, and then you kind of work your way down. If someone says, oh, $2,500 as uh, one installed plumbing fixture, Five light fixtures in one parking space. That's a pretty cool thing. Buying a parking space, you don't get your name on it, but you still uh, you get to buy a parking space. Um, you know, and then you just kind of work your way down and what and what it does. And some of these are like you know, it's ten chairs and install lighting fixtures, set of bathroom accessories. But the cool thing, and I, and I think it helps all of us when we think about it in terms of um, this idea of you know, hey, I want to invest, and I know that what I'm investing, this is what's going to happen. This is what is going to be purchased for the building with the investment. Uh, with the investment that I make. And, and, and I say that, and here's the thing that I I shared this last week and I'm going to share it again. And, um, and I think it's important for me to do so. David stands up and he leads the way with generosity and says, Hey, this is what, um, this is what I'm doing over, uh, you know, for the, for the work of the Lord of this temple that's being built. And Carrie and I felt the same way that if we were going to lead this, that we had to lead the way when it comes to, uh, when it comes to generosity and, my, and so if, so you can be aware, uh, my wife and I are making the biggest financial commitment that we've ever made to anything um, to this campaign. I mean, this, we're committing more than we paid for our first house um, for, to this campaign. And it's going to take being creative and, uh, and all of that and probably me doing some more writing um, for, to make this happen. But we really believe. Um, that if, if we're going to lead the charge, then we have to lead the way uh, when it comes to, to generosity. And, and I had someone come up to me the other day, uh, this past week, and they said, you know, Pastor Bob, I'm committed and I'm a little nervous. Is it normal to be nervous? And I said, it's okay to be nervous. I'm a little nervous too. Uh, I think that's how you know you've actually stepped out in faith, is uh, that you've, you're, you're, you've gotten a little, a little nervous. Um, but more than anything, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous but, but filled with joy over the fact that God is going to do an amazing work of this campaign and God's going to do a work in me over this campaign. When my wife and I committed to Blueprint, I told the story last week, um, it was the biggest commitment that we had ever made in our lives. I mean, I had never even spent that much money on a car before uh, Before we, had, we made that, that commitment. and uh, But we knew that the Lord was leading us to do this. Um, we made this commitment. It was not even 90 days later that um, I had... Uh, I had signed a multi-book uh, contract uh, with the third largest Christian publisher in the United States. And that was half of our commitment, was right there. And, uh, you know, God began to open opportunities for me like never before. And we, what we thought was going to take the full 15 months that the Blueprint campaign was, we ended up finishing six months early. Because, you know, God had just blessed us in ways that we never even realized and never even dreamed that would, um, would happen. And so the... Um, you know, the, the point that I make in all of this is, is that more than raising money, this campaign is really about God raising his kids and teaching us to trust him more than we thought possible. Because when I was making the commitment to Blueprint, when I was making the commitment to coming home, if my only factor was, well, I'm just going to make a budgetary decision, I never would have made the, the significant um, uh, commitment that I made. And I never would have seen God intervene and work something that I never even wasn't even on my radar. But instead, it was much more than just a budgetary decision. That was part of it. But there was also a faith component to it. And there was a statement that we were just that my wife and I were talking about and that we just have continued talking about ever since that happened. And we just kept kept saying, you know, how big is your God? How big is your God? You know, what can your God do? You know that's why the apostle Paul in in, in Philippians he says and he doesn't say and, and and God will he says and my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus and it's just it's this idea that that's how people that's why these people responded with radical generosity is because they said hey God is so much bigger than what I could possibly ask think or imagine and that God had saved them and listen Uh, unless there's misunderstanding, these people weren't giving so that God would love them. Oh, well, they were giving so that God would love them and so that they would go to heaven and whatever. No, no, no. They already had those things. They were already loved by God. They already had God's favor. They were already, heaven and eternity, that was already secure. They were giving out of a response to those things. And then they saw God work in their lives because sacrifice is always motivated by joy. It was motivated by joy for them. It was motivated. The model of this is Jesus, that he sacrificed. Uh, in, in It's not in your notes, but in, in um, Hebrews twelve two, it says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we're going to finish the story here, but I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and hand out the commitment cards to... Um, to coming home because we want you to have each to have one of those. And uh, so I'm going to finish while they're doing that. I'm going to read the last few verses that says this. It says, therefore, David blessed the people. Uh, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you. And of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you. As were also our fathers. And our days on the earth are as a shadow and without hope. O oh, Lord our God. All this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house. For your holy name is from your hand. And is all your own. If you pause there and give me your attention. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. Before we close. And that is this. That sacrifice breaks the grip of greed. Sacrifice breaks the grip of greed. Um, I, I used to have this Chevy Cavalier when I was in college. Uh, when I was first starting college, my dad helped me buy it. And um, late, I guess someday I'll tell you the story of how it became infested with cockroaches. Um, and it was actually a cockroach training center. And I know this because I would, I would get up to my car at night and I would see them doing laps on my steering wheel. But anyway, someday I'm going to tell you that story, but that's not today. Um, But one day, Carrie and I are driving and we were, um, we had just gotten married and we were driving and she opens up my glove box and she pulls out this pink sheet of paper. And she says, what is this? And I said, oh, that's the title to the car. And she says, that's what I thought. Are you out of your mind? And I said, why do you say that? She says, because you don't drive around with the title to your car. In there. She says, You know, if somebody steals your car and has the title, they actually own the car now. And I said, Well, you know, that's good to know. I didn't know that. If you want to know secrets about, you know, things about ancient Mesopotamia, I'm your guy. And, uh, but I didn't know that. And listen, that is essentially what David is saying in this prayer. He says this He's talking about ownership. And he says this God, you own the pink slip, you have the title on everything. Everything is yours and we owe nothing and we own nothing. And here's why this is so important. And this is the thing that, um, whenever I teach this, I I just, you know, my prayer is like, God, if we would get this, then everything would change. I really believe that your spiritual maturity depends on understanding this principle. And, And the reason I say that is because you cannot grow to spiritual maturity and live like an owner. Only stewards—you've got to live like a steward, like—and those are the people that grow to maturity in Christ because they aren't at odds with God and making stuff an issue. Now, let me explain why I say that. There's a verse here that I put in your in your notes in uh, Matthew in Deuteronomy chapter ten. It says, "And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and walk in His ways." and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep his commandments, uh, to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, and also the earth and all that is in it. Now listen, Deuteronomy is a series of addresses that Moses gives the people before they're entering the promised land. And what he does is he tells the people, hey, this is what God requires. He, it's that you respect him for the Lord, obey the Lord, serve the Lord. And then he says, oh, and by the way, God owns everything. Everything in heaven, every, the earth, and everything that's even in it is his. Why? Why, does it, why would he share that after telling the people what, what God requires of them? Because these people were going from being slaves to now taking possession of an entire uh, country. They were going to have land, they were going to have houses, they were going to have fields that they never had before. And so God is telling them all this, saying, hey, I don't want you to go in here and think that you are now the owner of these things. You need to go in there and thinking, I am the steward, uh, uh, the steward, I am the manager of these things. All of these things are God's. And He has simply entrusted them to me. Because the tendency that they would have is to go into the land and think, I used to be a slave, but now I'm an owner. But that's actually not what he had for them. Instead, he was explaining to them that the land was his. Their relationship with God was tied to the land that he was entrusting to them. And that's why I say that you can't grow to maturity and act and think like an owner. is because the only thing that kept Israel in the land was their commitment to God. The day they stopped connecting the fact that the land belonged to God, and that they were stewards of the land. When they started seeing it as theirs, that's when they started bringing in idols who would make it, to make it rain. They would start worshiping other gods that would make the ground uh, give fruit. Instead of realizing that it would all belong to God. It was not their problem. They were not owners. They were simply required to act like stewards. Managing it for the actual owner. You see, most of us know the verse where Jesus says, you know, don't worry about tomorrow and all that stuff, right? Most of us know that verse, you know, for tomorrow has enough problems, just deal with today. But a lot of us don't know the context of that statement. The context of that statement is about money. It's about being a steward and not an owner. And, And now let me read you the verses leading up to the don't worry stuff. Here's what he says. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is your life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you... Not, uh, are, and are, are, are you not of more value than they? The idea is is that if God is who you follow, then we experience peace not this uh, worry and anxiety over, well how's it all going to work out? Instead we experience peace because we're not owners we're simply stewards and when all we have to do is say, God what do you want me to do with your money that you've entrusted to me? what that will do is bring more peace in your life and it will take your spiritual life to another level because you're not going to be having the wrestling match between, well, this stuff is actually mine. No, God's saying, Hey, it all belongs to me. And so, and if that's the case, then we just have to manage it well. And, um, you and I are here today. You know, we started this church 12 years ago in a living room with five people and, You are here today because there were a whole bunch of people over the years who have acted like stewards and not owners, and who have sacrificed for the sake of us being able to be here up to this point. And you think about through your life, and it's like we've always benefited from the sacrifice of others. But at some point, it becomes our moment. Our moment to sacrifice, our moment now to say, Hey, it's, it's, it's time. Now God is calling me to do the sacrifice. Why? Because the sacrifice is motivated by joy. It breaks the, the grip of greed and, and it shows my devotion to Him. And, my friends, we are on the verge of doing something incredibly significant. And something that, um, can I just tell you this? And I shared this with the group last week, and, and I, I just have not been able to stop thinking about this. There's going to come a point in time when you get old. Um, Like real old The the kind of age where you're looking You spend most of your time looking back On your life And you will remember this day You will remember today Because today is the the day That many of you are going to make A significant commitment to this campaign And this building is going to get built And not that the building is a testament to us This building is something that we do for God because the building is a tool in His hand to reach people, to restore families, to see kids who are on a a bad path come back to the Lord, to see single adults who don't know God come to know Him, to see marriages that were on the verge of breaking up healed and restored, homes that were about ready to be shattered and broken be restored and get together. Listen, you're going to look back on your life and you're not going to remember what size TV you had but you're going to remember the commitment that you made to reach people and to change eternities through this campaign. Something that goes far beyond building a building, my friends. It's about What we're talking about is reaching people. We're talking about reaching kids and adults and um, youth that will last into eternity. And that's why my heart and my prayer is that you will... that, that God would give you a willing spirit, a devoted heart, and a mind and spirit and heart that are full of faith to listen as God is leading you. So here's what we're going to do. In a minute, the band's going to play and I'm going to invite everyone to commit to this campaign. I know some of you, you're like, oh, I've already committed. And uh, that's fine. And I'm, I'm, I'm if you want to just commit it again, that's fine uh, as well. But we're all going to come together and this is going to be our moment where we say, hey, all of us came together. We all committed. We'll willingly and joyously together and that God has spoken to you and as they do listen and and, um, and here's what we're going to do when the band starts to play i'm going to invite everyone to stand and then if you're a couple and you're committing then both of you come forward if you're a single adult then you come forward if you're a family then all of you come forward because we're doing something significant we're doing something amazing this is a spiritual moment it's a holy moment And I want you to step out over the next 24 months and participate in the work of God and watch and see what he does in your life, not just in your life, in this entire church's life, in our community's life, because we exist to help people take their next step with God. And that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand if you would. And when you're ready, come forward. You'll see the baskets here drop your commitment in the basket and we're going to rejoice together.